We are in the uh, final weeks of our Hebrews series, True and Better. Uh, We've shifted a little bit from the True and Better, where the first several chapters presented Jesus as the True and Better, Abraham, Moses, high priest, sacrifice, uh, all these amazing things that Jesus is the True and Better form of, that uh, all these, um, which were huge, significant events or people in the Old Testament as God uh, related to his people, and yet they were pointing, it, pointing to uh, Jesus, who would come years and years and years later. Um, but we've entered into the final chapters where there's a, a call to faith, a call to um, endurance, which we'll look at today, and then some final exhortations, these different things. Last week, we looked at a call to faith and how we have a full assurance of faith. Uh, we have a faith warning, not a faith watch, if you remember the taco um, infographic. Uh, A watch means we have the ingredients for tacos. A warning means we're having tacos right now. Uh, The author of Hebrews tells us that we have the confidence of full assurance of faith right now because of Christ's true and better sacrifice and priesthood. And we're warned against taking it for granted of not accessing or utilizing what we have been gifted. There's a sense in which Christ has secured and accomplished all of these things for us and how we can take them for granted and neglect them and not walk in those victories or freedoms. And that's why the author of Hebrews tells us to uh, not take those for granted, but to walk in the confidence and full assurance of the faith that you already have. Uh, And then we kind of skimmed through the hall of faith, those names, name after name of how by faith they did this, by faith they did this, going through these heroes of the Old Testament, heroes of um, the Jewish people that did these amazing things in their history. And were used by God to do amazing things, but how the author of Hebrews points us to, it was by faith that they did these things. And so uh, when you point to someone's faith, it's really not a glorification of them, right? Because it's their faith in something else. And so all of these people were used by God in amazing circumstances because they trusted in God. They had trust in God's word. They took him at his word and believed his promises And so uh, they didn't earn those things. Um, They didn't deserve to be a part of those amazing things that they all got to be a part of. They just trusted in God's promises. And uh, it was a promise that had yet to unfold, right? It said that none of them entered into the promises that they were trusting in, Uh, whether it was the promised land, whether it was seeing the Messiah who was yet to be born years and years later. um, They didn't see those things unfold, but they trusted in those things. Uh, And we're called to do that as well, right? We're on the other side of Jesus coming Um, living, dying, and rising again, Uh, but we're still on the front side of him returning. And so we trust in the promise of Jesus' return to make all things new uh, as yet to be seen. Today we turn to endurance. Uh, Should be a great follow-up to the call to trust in a promise that hasn't unfolded as we press on towards what God has promised us that is yet to be seen. Uh, Our faith is uh, put in something that is not yet seen, but it is still assured for us. And so we need endurance to press on, to continue in faith, to continue trusting in things yet seen. And so we're in Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 1 through 17. This is Hebrews picking up um, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are all illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and and by it, it many become defiled." That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. There's uh, so much just in these first two verses. Um, The chapter kicks off with therefore, so we know it's connecting us to the previous um, text, the previous passage. And so this hall of faith that so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so by faith did all these amazing things. And so because we have all of these faithful brothers and sisters who have gone before us, this cloud of witnesses showing us that it's possible to be imperfect and yet trust God and be used by him, since they did it, let us now do it, right? Let us run with endurance, the race set before us, just like they did. They went before us, set an example for us, following in their footsteps. We're given some insight as to what it took to live for God like the heroes of faith did. It said, let us also do these things because they have done these things. The author tells us that we should lay aside some stuff and run with endurance while looking to Jesus. So what are the things we're to lay aside? Two things, right? Every weight and sin, at least two categories, maybe not just two things, two categories of things. Every weight and sin. The word weight here refers to a hindrance or an encumbrance. It's anything that compromises your pursuit of Jesus. Sin, we know, is disobedience. All sin is bad, right? So we should be able to recognize more easily those things that say this is a sin against God. This is outside of his will, outside of his commandments. It's contrary to his character, something he has um, commanded or prohibited, prohibited in us. We recognize those, but these weights are only bad in the sense that they encumber our Christ-likeness. So they may be good things, right? What may be a a weight for me may not be a weight for you in this sense. There may be a neutral thing or even a good thing that God has given us that maybe we've turned into an ultimate thing. We've created an idol out of it. And if it's an idol, something we worship, something that's stealing worship from God, then it's hindering us. It's an encumbering thing. It's become a hindrance to our faith. 
And so sometimes we need to apply those, uh, those questions, those identifiers that we talk about sometimes where we want to identify idols in our hearts, where's, um, what, what frustrates us too easily, right? What, what triggers us in our anger? Um, where does our money go? Where does our time go? Um, where does our effort go? All of these things that kind of show us, oh, okay, this might be getting too much um, of my devotion, which means it might be an idol. Um, and so we can kind of identify those things in our lives that may be good things, again, that God has uh, given us to enjoy. Um, it sounds easier than it is if something has become a, a habitual sin or uh, an idol in our lives. Uh, a besetting sin is another way to translate that. Um, laying it aside won't come easy, right? Because it's, it clings so closely. Uh, these weights and sins cling so closely. I used to think this meant that we just, we hold on to them very tightly, um, because we have, you know, we've created this desire for them, this devotion for them, but it's really, it's referring to almost this, like, uh, it's the, the encumbering. It's, it's almost like a, like a constricting snake that just tightens around you, right? And every time you, uh, every time you breathe out, it gets tighter and just makes it harder to move, harder to move forward. So the phrase here, it's referring to this encircling, besetting, wrapping up to, as to impede movement, uh, and they don't ever let go of us, right? That's not part of the, the process. It's up to us to set them aside, these weights. Uh, but it's not impossible. Uh, I recently watched uh, some American Gladiators documentaries. Um, one was labeled the unauthorized um, documentary on American Gladiators. Uh, they were really nostalgic for me. I enjoyed watching them because I really enjoyed watching that show when I was growing up. I used to love watching that show. Uh, but one memory that it brought back to mind. Uh, it was actually a pet peeve I had with the show um, concerned the Eliminator, which is the final event, which just determines who wins the whole thing. So they do all these events leading up to the Eliminator. Whoever's ahead in points gets that much of a head start and so forth. And so they go through this final Eliminator obstacle course and they would have at the end kind of these four lanes. There's two contestants and each contestant would have two lanes to choose from. There'd be like a paper wall. Uh, so you can't see what's behind it. Well, each contestant had a gladiator behind one wall, and they didn't know which one, right? And so they'd have to bust through the wall and get past the gladiator if they went through that one, or just go on through an easy path to the finish line if there's no gladiator. But what always made me angry was that sometimes the gladiators would be really inconsistent. So see, if Brett and I are in the eliminator, right, and he goes through and goes to his gladiator, and the gladiator just kind of bumps him and lets him go by, Okay, no big deal, right? That's a, a nice gladiator. But if I go through and the gladiator just really just like doesn't let me go, um, he can, they have to let you go eventually. They just always did. But some of them would really take it out on the contestants and keep them there for much longer than they needed to. Anyway, it always bothered me because it was so inconsistent. Some got to go through really easy. Some people that I was rooting for got held up because the gladiator just took it upon themselves or producers told them to, whatever it was. Um, it was really unfair, if you ask me. But no one ever asked me, so you guys got to hear it for free. Uh, regardless, the gladiators at some point, they let up. They let the contestants go by, because that's just part of the deal. Like, hey, hold them up for a little bit, and then let them finish. But that's not what we see here with the weights. The weights that we're told to lay aside. It's not like, these things hold on to us for a little bit, they're just kind of piggybacking, taking a ride, and they're going to get off at the next stop. They are on us forever, unless we set them aside. We lay aside the weights and the sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 
so that we can run the race set before us. So sometimes we think, like, this is a problem, this is an issue, but it'll just go away on its own. That's not, that's not the case. Scripture is telling us here to be proactive in that, to, to take the initiative in that, to set those things aside, because uh, they're not giving up. The Greeks were synonymous with athletic competition. So this idea of endurance running, it would have resonated with the culture and the audience of the time. They would have understood that races require endurance, and such endurance requires discipline. Uh, but before we dive into discipline, consider the object of our focus, Jesus. One commentator noted that this is the incarnate son we're to look at, or fix our eyes on. Your, your translation may say, fix your eyes on Jesus. We're not to consider or contemplate just the divinity of the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity. We are to fix our eyes on, consider the example of Jesus in the flesh who went before us, who lived a life of faith as a human, as the God-man. Because the Son in the flesh is the one who endured the cross and the shame of this world. Before sitting at the Father's right hand, he was mocked, he was ridiculed, he was spat upon. He bled, he suffered, he died. It was Jesus in the flesh who did these things. And so that's why the author says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the God-man who went before you and exhibited ultimate endurance and suffered more than you will ever have to. This Jesus is noted as the founder of our faith. This word for founder implies that Jesus is the first who leads out in faith and goes before us still. He continues to lead us in faith, it was almost this picture. I had never seen this before. Um, he's he's kind of like um, they didn't use the word line leader, but that's what it is. He's the he's the line leader, right? He's the all time line leader. He's the founder and the perfecter. So he went first. He leads us still, and he will lead us into the completion of our faith. We follow him. So when he is the founder or the author of our faith, it doesn't just mean that he started our faith and he'll see it through. It means that he started our faith, yes, but he guides us every step of the way in our faith journey. So we consider our line leader, the originator of the movement, Jesus, and his endurance through extreme suffering, hostility, again, shedding of blood, torture, etc., as we think about the challenge to endure for our faith. And then we're given this relational consideration that we share with Jesus, which puts his endurance and our call to endurance in perspective. And that consideration is this. We're to consider our Father in enduring. Jesus is the Son who endured far more than we will ever have to. The author tells us that focusing on Jesus and his ability to navigate all of this keeps us from growing weary or faint-hearted. So if we're tempted to grow weary or faint-hearted, which is natural, we're to focus on Jesus and his example, his going before us, and uh, how he endured much worse than we did and endured much more than we ever could. Typically, the cliche in pop culture is that the hero clinging to a picture of their family as a reminder of their why, right? It's, it's my motivation, whether it's the fighter pilot who puts a picture of his uh, sweetheart or family in the, in the cockpit or whatever, it's a motivation from the standpoint of do it for them, right? Your family that is relying on you, your motivation. But here in Hebrews, it's look at the hero and savior who has gone before you. Remember how he endured far worse than you'll ever have to in obedience to the Father and out of love for you. 
Let that be your motivation. Almost the sense of don't squander what Jesus has accomplished for you. If he can do it, then you can do much less than what you're being called to do. We're not enduring for someone else in this sense. But because someone else endured for us and paved the way, we can endure. Consider other movements throughout history, um, even maybe the civil rights movement. How many press on for those coming up behind them, kind of this motivation, right? This is my why. I'm doing it for those who are coming up behind me. But many press on for those who went before, right? Don't, don't squander what they have accomplished for us, what they have gone on and paved the way for us. We follow in the footsteps of those who have set an example for us and endured much harder things than we have. That's the exhortation here in Hebrews 12. Don't squander what has been fought for and secured and achieved for you in Christ to this point. In Christ, the victory has been secured. We press on in confidence of his finished work. Then we're given a relational reminder about being addressed as sons. This is a huge deal. Note that throughout Scripture, God reminds his people of his credentials and or his relationship to them before he commissions or commands them to do something. He reminds of his covenants, his power, his divinity, his authority. Sometimes he reminds them of what he has done for them in their family's history or their nation's history. Remember the new covenant says he will be our God and we will be his people. One aspect of this dynamic is our sonship to his fatherhood. God treats us as sons, and this is not to say that daughters are not important, but contextually, during the time that this was written, sons received full inheritance, right, or full adoption into the family. And so when we say sonship, it's not saying like daughtership is not important. It's saying um, the definition of sonship at this time was better, like it includes more. And so uh, ladies, you want to be a part of this sonship. doesn't mean that you're sons, doesn't mean you're boys, whatever. It means that you are given the full inheritance and blessing that comes with sonship, according to those definitions. God treats us as sons. So all of the amazing blessings of inheritance, full adoption into the family that sonship brings, but also it brings a sanctifying and maturing relationship, which includes discipline. It's not just all the riches and inheritance and blessing. It's I'm going to mature you. I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to continue to shape you into the image of Christ. In fact, we're told that discipline is a sign of true sonship because what father does not discipline their children. Verse 8 says that if we're not disciplined by God, we're illegitimate. We're not even sons at all if God doesn't discipline us. Consider your earthly fathers, we're told. Ideally, we respect their discipline, which though imperfect and, temp- what's imperfect and temporary, but well-intentioned. How much more should we respect the true and better, so to speak, discipline of our Heavenly Father, who definitely disciplines us for our good, which is Christ-likeness, so that we, we may be holy as He is holy. So when God disciplines us for our good, He's making us more like Jesus into the image of Christ. His authority justifies his discipline of us. Just because he is who he is in relation to us, he gets to discipline us. But his fatherhood helps us to appreciate his discipline. When we understand and believe that God is for us, that he loves us, that he's relating to us as a perfect father should, then we believe that his discipline is the right thing, and we might appreciate it a little, maybe. I don't know if any of my kids ever appreciate discipline, 
Uh, but I hope that based on our relationship, they at least trust that our discipline is out of love for them. Sometimes it's hard to see that, I think, for them and for us. But the relationship cultivates trust. Knowing that God is not just interacting with us to punish us, but has been communicating, loving, providing, etc., showing affection. It helps us to see the need for his discipline and to trust that it is for our good. That it may seem like, why, where is this coming from? If, if I take the full relationship of, uh, of my, my dad or mom to me, if they look at that and say, how do I fit discipline into all what I know of them? Then it must be for my good, or at least they think it's for my good, right? Even if we don't see it at the time. I see this little by little with my own kids. I've seen this in my time at the school, even just in subbing. Relationship fuels trust. This is why we're told to consider our father when it comes to enduring. The other aspect that we're presented in this passage is the fruit of our endurance. We're not only to consider our father, but also the fruit of enduring. Verse 11 acknowledges that We've all seen and experienced. All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Some translations say it seems painful rather than joyful. Most point to pain in the moment in contrast to pleasant or joyful or even enjoyable. But later, we're promised in Scripture, but later it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those trained by it. Enduring for discipline produces righteousness or holiness in us. This is not saving righteousness. This is not saving holiness. This is not going from uh, an unrighteous, uh, unrepentant, unregenerate person to a saved person. It's more the purity of life, the set-apartness of a child of God that we're supposed to be marked by. God's discipline discipline of us makes us more like Jesus. This is our good, our sanctification, and you can test discipline's genuineness by assessing the peace that accompanies the holiness. We see this right here in Scripture. When we truly embrace the Father's discipline and are trained by it and changed by it, we reflect his character back in peace. I would think you're all familiar, or maybe it's just in our house, with kids apologizing in a very insincere tone. If we say, you need to apologize, and they're like, sorry. Or maybe they're just in a hot rage. I'm sorry, right? It's like, that's not a real apology. That's not a real sorry. This is not fruitful peace that Hebrews 12 describes. It's imitation, right? At best, it's head knowledge without conviction. It's recitation without understanding. At worst, it's a mockery, an act of indignation. I'm not sorry. I don't want to be sorry. I don't think I need to be sorry. This is not what is being described here in Hebrews 12. What the author is pointing us to is genuine. It's the product of a changed heart and mind. You might be able to pretend to endure by faith, but you cannot fake the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That charade will falter, it'll fail at some point. The real deal takes time. This is why endurance is such a priority in our lives, because it takes a long time to see fruit grow. It takes a long time to see evidence of something that is taking root often invisible to what we see with the naked eye, and then eventually we see the growth, even though God is doing things that we can't see under the surface. There's no fast forward. There's no shortcut. 
uh, in April, I think it was April of this year, at the London Marathon. There's a, a foot, some footage online. It's a pretty short clip. There's a man who, right after the race starts, he sprints to the front, and he leads the entire race, the whole field of racers, for like 10 seconds. But I think he did it, so he was like, I, for 10 seconds, I was winning the London Marathon, right? I was leading the marathon. This is what faking endurance with God kind of looks like. You might look impressive for a brief time. If someone were to take a snapshot of that moment, look, they're out in front of this long race, of all the people they're ahead of. But time will prove or disprove the fruit. Only actually doing the hard work will train you in endurance, and it's not for our glory anyway. The guy who ran to the front was doing it, obviously, for his own glory. True endurance for the Lord will bring glory to his name and not ours. So let us set aside every weight, the good, the bad, the indifferent, whatever hinders our pursuit of Jesus and every sin which leads us away from Jesus so that we might run the long race set before us with endurance. Let's pray. God, thank you yet again for the truth of your word the amazing encouragement that we have to point out sometimes things that we just don't consider but are so simple yet so profound that you've called us to a life of endurance. And who are we to think that we can just uh, not train, not, not to discipline ourselves, not um, experience your discipline and be trained by it and then just hop in the race and run it the way it's meant to be run. So we thank you for your reminders that the life of faith, even though we have this eternal paradise promised to us, until you call us home, we're in a marathon that takes endurance, training, discipline, and godliness. God, help us to lay aside, to set aside every weight, every besetting sin, every hindrance or thing that encumbers us that we wouldn't be slowed down by even good things, good gifts that you've given us to enjoy, but yet we've turned them into ultimate things in our lives. Help us to identify the idols, the weights that cling to us, that are not gonna let go of us. And so God, you have called us to identify them and by the power of the Spirit to cut them loose from ourselves that we might press on we thank you, Jesus, for going before us, for being not just the author but the perfecter of our faith, that you are the line leader who says, follow me, get in line behind me. That if we wanna go where you are, then we have to go where you went and you follow us, we follow you, you lead us, Jesus, step by step in this life of faith. So help us, Lord, to fix our eyes on you, to focus on you, Jesus. That whenever we're tempted to grow faint or weary of this life of faith, we would consider what you endured for us unjustly. Anything we experience, we probably deserve or worse, and yet you experienced worse and didn't deserve any of it. So Lord, remind us of your endurance, your steadfastness, your obedience and faith. Help us to cling to the promises, trust in the promises that God has set before us. 
and live the life that you've called us to. We thank you, Jesus, for your example, for the victory you've won for us, for you, your enduring of hardship and suffering. And God, we thank you for being our heavenly Father who seeks our good, who makes us more like Jesus moment by moment, day by day, because you love us. You've called us your own, and you've called us to yourself. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.